We're back. Welcome to season six of the Iron Woman podcast. I'm Rosalie, and I want to tell you, I love to bike ride. It's my favorite daytime activity. And my nighttime favorite activity is playing piano. And I'm in the middle of all of that. I like to watch TV and play video games and stuff. Support us by supporting our sponsors, Crave Jerky, F2C Nutrition, Rudy Project, and Smashfest Queen. And now, the ladies you've been waiting for, Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. Hi, Haley. Welcome to your race week. Am I right? Yes, it is race week for me. I'm headed to Ironman 70.3 Augusta in Georgia this weekend. I'm I'm excited. I raced Augusta a couple times before and it kind of feels like a hometown race. I don't live in Atlanta anymore, but I did live there for nearly a decade. So it, I, I can call it a hometown race, right? Of course, a home state race, right? Just like say it really fast and no one will even, no one will even know the difference there. And you still get all of like the good juju from being in the same state. Totally counts. Exactly. I want all the, all the cheers if anyone is in Augusta. And so I know here on the East coast, it was a pretty big week with hurricane Florence coming through and the Carolinas did get hit pretty hard. Uh, where I am in Charlottesville, we thought early in the week we would get hit. And then as reports changed throughout the week, it actually really kind of swung around us and we escaped most of Florence's path. But Haley, have you heard any updates from Georgia? I guess was anything there Florence related? I haven't. I did kind of watch the news because I was a little bit nervous knowing that I am planning to, you know, race in Augusta this weekend, but I haven't heard anything suggesting that they won't be able to have the race. So Hopefully it will still go on without a hitch. Um, and hopefully that river isn't flowing too fast. It is a downstream swim and I wouldn't mind it if it wasn't, you know, too crazy fast, but I'll deal with whatever conditions come my way. Well, we definitely send our good thoughts out to those people who are kind of picking up the pieces after the hurricane went through. It does look pretty bad there. And I know that a lot of events kind of all over the East Coast were canceled and some seem to be out of the path of the hurricane ultimately. But I really do think that it was a good decision on the part of people kind of all around just to make sure emergency personnel and police and everyone else that's involved in putting on an event would be free in the case that we did have something larger to deal with in the weekend. But Haley, I do have to say, do you know what sport I participated in over the weekend that did not preemptively cancel their weekend activity? I'm going to guess orienteering based on our conversation last week. Is this more orienteering updates? Yes. So I decided to graduate from intro to orienteering to like full on orienteering event this past weekend, because again, I'm, I'm back to some structured training, just, you know, still letting my body heal in, in some ways. And so I'm allowing myself time to pick up this new skill because it's a really good time. I have some free time to do it. And I actually duped a fellow Iron Woman into woman into 
helping me this week. So Leslie Miller, who is a professional triathlete, also coached by Hillary. She's up in Northern Virginia and she is one of my best friends and a uh, frequent training partner of mine. She is actually pregnant. So I don't think she's done an official announcement yet, but I did get the green light to be able to say this on the podcast. I promise. So (laughs) my stomach just dropped. I was like, Oh my gosh, you're sharing her news. She said, it's totally fine, Haley. And it's funny because so she, you know, is kind of embarking on this new athletic journey as someone who is with a child and she has to figure out different ways to stay active, you know, because we are, this is such a part of our life. And as she has, you know, been experiencing things, she just can't do obviously what she used to be doing. Right. So she was all on board to pick up orienteering as a new sport and we showed up ready to go Haley. So we, there's like a multitude of levels of classes you can, or courses you can do ranging from, I think white's the easiest to blue is the hardest orienteering course. So you also have a four hour window typically to complete the course, but because I did have to do some workouts and then drive up to Northern Virginia, we really only had two hours to do our course. So we show up to the registration table. They ask us what course we want to do. And of course we say blue, the hardest, of course. And that woman, Haley looked at us and was like, are you sure? (laughs) And we were like, yeah. So then we like dug our heels and we were like, of course we're doing the blue. And I was like, I've done this before. I did this last week. It'll be fine. And Leslie looks at her and goes, we're really fit. It will be fine. (laughs) So we picked up all of our supplies. We got our map and I started to like kind of look at our map and I was like, Oh, this looks a little bit harder than last week. This is pretty intense. And we also had two dogs with us to also come along on the orienteering trip, which was fun. So it actually, I started to really feel like this might be a disaster when we couldn't find the start for this one. And so we finally got the start. We set off. And after probably 20 minutes or so, we realized, one, we were on a terribly wrong path. And two, one of the dogs was already limping. And so we realized that this probably wasn't a good idea. So we had to go. Luckily, it was a cool day. So we were able to get her back, set up this like camp in the car with water. Don't worry. Everyone was fine. Um, windows were down. And we were like, OK, let's just go hurry up now. We have like only a little over an hour and try and finish the rest of this course. So Haley, I'll fast forward a little bit here. There are 18 checkpoints you have to get to on the blue course. And it's supposed to be 8K. OK, guess how many Leslie and I got through? Four. Oh my gosh, you got it right. So (laughs) (laughs) it took us about an hour and I don't know, a lot of change to get through four checkpoints. And I will say we actually did okay on the orienteering and we were finding everything. It was just so much harder than last week because I think it was just real bushwhack. Like we were full on, there was no trails leading us to these checkpoints and it was so much fun. And we were having a blast until we looked down at our watch and we're like, oh no, we're like never going to even come close to it. So we had, you have to go back and just be done at three o'clock. So we had to go ring ourselves in for our DNF and orienteering, which was a little bit sad. And so we asked at the table, you know, First of all, we were, you know, just so kind of in disbelief that we couldn't even come a little bit closer. And we said, well, has anyone even finished the blue course today? Like clearly, you know, not possible. And then the woman told us that the guy that won did it in an hour and 12 minutes. Wow. (laughs) So we have a lot of work. The good thing is that this is going to be Leslie's sport for the next few months. And so she has really, we have a plan of action. We're actually going to do it again next week. We're going to get better people. Don't worry. And so, so yeah, so we're taking this on together. 
Congratulations to Leslie, and I, I wish you both the best of luck in your orienteering adventures. Sounds like, yeah, I mean, it sounds like a great thing to do. <laughs> and there's the only way you only you have a lot of room for improvement, is what it sounds like, which is nice. That's nice to have that, right? It feels good to improve. It does, yeah. That's actually what Leslie said. Like, it felt good to be so bad at something because we both are pretty confident we can do better. Uh, and she did point out that she probably shouldn't have said we're really fit because actually she is pregnant and I just ran 270 some miles six weeks ago. So we're not like as fit as we are in our minds necessarily. So we need to keep ourselves in check. And it was good to have that shown to us. You know, it's always yes. good to have an ego check. But while we were out in the woods, Haley, what is life looking for you like for you in Montana? Oh man, it's just a lot of race prep at this point. You know, I just, you know, doing some sharpening sessions and the weather here is still fantastic. And, you know, I got to follow some of the age group racing this weekend. I had some of my age group athletes racing, which is always fun to see how they're doing and some fantastic results across the board. So things are good. You know, I'm just, you know, kind of enjoying this end of summer, beginning of fall time and just, you know, kind of in, I guess just enjoying it, but I'll, I'm looking forward to heading back to the South this weekend and, and racing in Augusta. So hopefully if, uh, people are there, definitely come say hi and you know, it should be a fun race. Haley with some, hopefully some more time on your hands with the tapering. Did you catch up on any news today and see the headline about the new speed record bicycle on a bicycle that happened. I did. I was super excited to see this. If anyone didn't catch it, Denise Mueller Koronik, I believe is her name. She is a former cyclist who two years ago set the women's record for like, I guess it's actually the fastest self-propelled human on the planet. So she was the fastest self-propelled woman on the planet two years ago in 2016. And she did it on a bicycle riding behind a car on the Bonneville Salt Flats in Salt Lake City. And then just today, I believe, she set the overall men's and women's record. And you know we are fans of overall records on this podcast. Did you see how fast she rode her bike? I did. And it makes my stomach drop even just thinking about anything going this fast. 183.9 miles per hour. That's insane. insane. It's insane. It's so fast. I mean, it is a special bike and you are, but you are riding right behind a car. And I think they said she was still putting out like 700 Watts, 700 Watts for one minute, I think is what I saw. And everyone should go and look up. I read it on like the wire.com or something, but go find an article about this and kind of just take a look at what this entails. I mean, this, she starts out basically being towed by the car and then I mean, if you think about how scary it is to ride at like 20 to 30 miles per hour behind another cyclist, right? Imagine going that fast behind a car. And granted, they're in an environment where this is a little bit more open than the roads we're cycling on. But she, you know, is a team. She's a partnership with she has a female driver of that car that she works with. And they talk about the signals. And like, I mean, I think the driver, she's basically looking back for the, a nod or a shake of the head from Denise to give her indications about the driving situation. And Haley, I mean, I can't even imagine, but it's super cool. And congratulations to Denise. Um, we might have to see if she'll be interested in coming on iron women one of these days. I would love that. She is definitely an iron woman. That is, I just, yeah, it's impressive, but, um, it was, it's cool to see things like that happening. 
So do we have any mailbag questions this week, Alyssa? Haley, we do. So I put a call out this morning and Clark has a question that he sent in and he was asking me about after, since my run in Vermont, how has it been difficult to find motivation to get back to regular training? Did I have to adjust new goals to get my mindset back? And just after long training periods and and completing kind of a big thing, what's it like to get back into it, especially if your next goal isn't that big? And Clark, thanks for that question. I think based on the last two weeks, my excitement level for orienteering should show everyone (laughs) that part of my answer here is that I have felt very comfortable. And a lot of this comes from working closely with my coach, Hilary Biscay, in that I did not feel rushed at all. And actually with my sponsors as well, everyone knew that this was going to be a big part of my year and ultimately could be the end of my season. And that gave me just a huge sense of kind of relief to be able to relax and not feel rushed. And I think because I have been relaxed about figuring out when I am ready for something next and what that next thing will be, I have kept motivation to keep getting up every day and being active, doing a little bit of training and things like orienteering, right? And so using my time for that kind of stuff, also for obviously podcasting and for coaching, I have plenty of time to be doing those things. I was actually listening to a podcast the other day, Haley, and one of the quotes kind of ties into this. And they were talking about when the the woman said that when identity of yourself is tied outside of yourself, that's what can cause suffering, right? And I think that this is like a very deep thing to tie into this mailbag question. But that as I was, I was writing when I was listening to that and I was like, you know, that's very true. I've always felt like I, one of the things I'm most proud of, I think, is that my identity of myself is not tied to triathlon and it's not tied to ultra running and it's not tied to those things that I achieve. And I'm so thankful that I have built my life around some other things that provide me with happiness and motivation outside of that. So I think that if you come off a big goal and you aren't quite sure what's next, spend time investing in yourself and, you know, finding that sense of identity, maybe in some other, you know, within yourself and allowing yourself to just have some other outlets there. But do you have any tips or tricks, Haley, for, for when motivation's low? I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I've never done anything like the long trail, you know, where it was so focused for that long and it was such a big ask. And I know it can be frustrating because people then are probably like, what's next? You know, and you get these outside stimuli that are just, you know, always like you, you know, everyone wants to move on and you're like, no, 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 I'm going to sit with this and really like appreciate it because it was so hard. It took so much to put together and whether you, you know, are successful in that, that attempt or not. And So I think that I like what you said about having identity outside of the event. And then I've always tried, you know, even after Ironmans or big races to kind of have something going on, maybe the next weekend or the weekend after something light that isn't really necessarily sport involved, but maybe like even just having lunch with a friend, things, other things to look forward to, to like kind of just keep you going after, you know, cause you, yeah, you do even in Ironman in any race, you focus on that for a very long time and, but time passes, life passes. And, but that's also what makes these things special. I think when I look at my triathlon career, I think what makes it special is I know life won't always be like this. And so you do, you celebrate it at the moment and, you know, and then there's always other things to celebrate as well. 
And as always, if people have questions for us, you can send them into ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com and we will take our best shot at them. And Haley, on this week's episode, we have such a great guest. We have Meredith Kessler coming on to talk with us. Yes. If anyone isn't familiar with Meredith, she uh, did begin her career as an age group athlete. She was a very successful age group athlete for almost a decade. And then she decided to start racing pro while still working for an investment bank. I guess, I think it was the Royal bank of Canada. And so uh, she had a very successful, or she's still racing, but very successful pro career after making that leap. She's 11 time Ironman champion, 22 times 70.3 champion. And she is, like I said, still racing. And Haley, we actually, if people want to go back to the early Iron Women days, we did talk with Meredith in season two, episode three, I believe. And she talked to us, that was right before, at the start of 2017. So right before she took some downtime from racing to have her son, Mac. And so this talk with her today is really great because she is back with, as she says, quote, supercharged mom hormones. And she was super fun to listen to. So everyone, after a word from our sponsors, hear what Meredith has to say. Crave Jerky is back as a sponsor of the Iron Women podcast. Crave Jerky is low in fat, a good source of protein, gluten-free, and contains all natural ingredients. Crave meat snacks are made with tender gourmet cuts of meat and crafted flavors with elevated yet simple ingredients. My favorite flavors include sweet chipotle beef, black cherry barbecue pork, and chili lime beef. You can try one of Crave's bold, tender flavors when you use the code IRONWOMEN to get 20% off at CraveJerky.com. Meredith, so I get to say welcome back. You are one of our returning guests to Iron Women, so thanks for joining us again. So pumped to be here. You know I love you guys, and I'm just pumped to be a part of it all, so thank you. Well, since we last talked to you, it was the start of 2017, and since then... Let's see. You've had a child. You've moved across the country. You've won two more 70.3s and you placed third at Ironman Mount Blanc. So how would you describe the last year and a half? Yeah. So the last year and a half has been obviously the most enriching of our life because we had our, we popped out a human, a uh, little Mac. He is, uh, is nine months old and He's obviously our life. And, you know, I had him older in life. I mean, I, I've been wanting to have him a long time. So I busted him out at 39. And it was, I mean, look, everyone who is pregnant, every woman, it's, I, I don't, I personally don't know one woman who has had like the most epic, whether it's pregnancy or labor, or whatever, whatever it is. But I personally, pregnancy was like such a, thing right and then birth was also such a thing and so um I was just so happy to like get Mac in my arms and so we have had the best year for that reason and to bring him now on the race course has been like the best part of it all and Meredith what has it been like returning to racing post-pregnancy yeah I mean you've you've kind yeah. of alluded to specific challenges yeah. can you uh, tell yeah. us a little bit more about what it's yeah. like yeah, well, I'll first talk about pregnancy was dicey. I mean, I I love women PS that are like, 
I love being pregnant. Like, seriously, my hands, I like, I'm high-fiving them. I think that's amazing. I personally, it was a real, it was struggle street, right? And then when I got into the birth room, I was like, yes, my birth plan was to have a healthy human. That was it. I didn't have papers. I didn't have anything. It was like those, those little words. I just want to have a healthy baby. And what, what we needed to do to have a healthy baby after 20 hours of labor was a C-section, an emergency one. His heart rate um, skyrocketed. And um, so I went into the ops room and he came out 40 minutes later via C-section only to find out, this is actually really interesting, that I would have had to have a C-section no matter what because I was never going to go over seven centimeters and you need to get to 10. And I was thinking, wait a second, how come we didn't know that before I went through the 20 hours of labor? Because I promise you, I would have just scheduled that C-section. But um, you don't know until you, like, you're in there. My, just, um, my doctor always said, and I, and I loved him, he just was like, athletes, are like all of us athletes, we have like these narrow hips and these this tough cervix, and it's really hard for us to like pop out a human all those years of, of activity and such so but we got him we got him out got him in my arms but to return to racing was obviously via I didn't really realize you know c-section is like it's a big surgery and I wanted to like I was like great c-section sweet when can I swim when can I bike when can I run right and I got out there and, and I my doctor by the way was um, very liberal so I was very lucky with that he was like I don't think you should run for probably six weeks and, but you can swim in two weeks. And what's funny, I heard two weeks. And so I like, I like negate that. I'm like, all right, two weeks for like a normal person, which probably only means a week for me because you know, whatever, I'm an athlete, right? Okay. Well, two, even at two weeks, I was like, Ooh, this is a little dicey <laughs> to get in the water, but it was, it was a process to get back. And what I, always had to tell myself I had to treat it very much like an injury in sport and by the way I've been in the sport a long time I, I it's not my first rodeo with having to come back from um injury if you will but the body can be so resilient if we allow it to be and I'm really big on that and I had to tell that to myself and practice what I preach every day like and I, and I keep saying anyone who ever asks, asks me running took a long time even when I talked to Sarah at Ironman Texas I wasn't sure that my pelvis was going to hold up, A, and B, would I feel like my uterus was going to pop out of my C-section scar on the run. I literally wasn't sure in that race. And I say that in one breath, and in the next breath, I also feel like sometimes racing also heals us. It heals injuries. It heals um, things of that nature once you're through the acute phase. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but I needed that race to know where I was in, in the process. And so it, it ended up working out and we kind of punched through that race and, and I was pumped just to get back out on the racing course, but it was a process to get from, from November 17th, basically when Mac was born to April 28th when Texas was. And I remember walking, I, I think I went out a couple miles for a run several times and I had to walk back because my, my pelvis physically, I thought it was going to just like break because <laughs> it was so bad. So anyone who's pregnant now, by the way, reaches out and, um, cause I, I did, I was very open about how I did work out. I, I don't say train, right. Because it was just heavy exercise. I did that three to four hours a day, sometimes five. I swam a heck of a lot 
lot. I biked a lot indoors. My running started to dwindle about 34 weeks. Um, I just physically, like how much pain do you, can you really take to get like a 10 minute mile pace? It wasn't worth it. Having a healthy baby was worth it. So when, running went out the door and um, I just focused on the pelvic exercises and strength. So that's really key for anyone who's pregnant. Feel free to reach out. We can talk about this later, but I really do feel that I need to do a life of a triathlete pregnancy edition because I've had, I've ridden quite the waves like we all do with it. And you just, you learn, I learned so much by being a mom and, and it's still weird for me to say, oh my gosh, I'm a mom and I have this human and it is cool to be back on, on the race course and I'm just hustling to try to get back to him basically. <laughs> and Meredith, when I have, whenever I think of you, there's a couple things that come to mind. One is always MBK swims because Hillary yeah. loves to give me just like straight long swims because she like yeah. swears that you do them. So that's where that yeah. came from. But yeah. um, the second thing that will always come to mind is the word balance. And that was something yeah. you always were yeah. a big proponent of in your racing career with family and with friends. Yeah. And I guess I'm just curious now hearing obviously what an intense project project Mac right. is kind right. of all around since yeah. before he was out of the womb and you know, everything. Yeah. So how do you feel about balance now? Like, do you, has your perspective Great. on that changed? Mm -hmm. No, I want to say our brand has always been balanced. That's always been important to me. And I told my former coach back when I was, I don't know, a long time when, I mean, I've been a pro almost 10 years, but I worked with him as a group. I said, look, I want to be the most efficient. I thought I'd have Mac back then, you know? So I, I want to be the most efficient in my training because it's more important to me to be like, the best, you know, wife, daughter, sister, now mom and, and person, uh, versus Meredith, the athlete. And, and I will say that until I'm blue in the face, even if it costs me wins or, you know, I don't have a world title. I'm not, I, I don't know if I have what it takes to rather, I don't use, want to use the word sacrifice, but to give up, I mean, world champions, people and athletes in general, elite, anything we do. Um, now that I have a human too, I see this because even when I, had time for a little recovery. I didn't take it as much because I wanted to, uh, you know, achieve that balance. And I wanted to hit every girl's event, every wedding and every dinner out. And I'm still like that, even with Mac and toe. Um, it just means recovery is less. And also I learned the hard way. And even as recent as Montreblanc, like I learned the hard way that, and I, I keep saying this, I, I got cocky. I got cocky in that Oh, I'm high on life. And I, and I've said this, I am high on life, but I'm high on life. I'm high on adrenaline. I can, I can go without proper recovery. I can go without, I can go on three to four hours of broken sleep. I cannot put my boots on. I can eat whenever, you know? So, and, and you can't, and especially at now 40, I know that I wasn't practicing the pillars of performance outside of training. And that's what I've now worked on. And I learned since Tremblant how to make that a little better while still trying to be the best mom I can to Mac. Cause he is my focus. He is my number one as is my husband and family and friends, of course. And then it's my job. And I'm very open about that. I put that before my job. Obviously my job's important to me, however, because it, it puts food on the table for Mac. It's my bread and butter. And, you know, I've been an athlete my whole life. I'm very passionate about it, but I don't want to ever use the word sacrifice in effort to be the best, if that makes, makes any sense. 
And Meredith, I'm curious, you mentioned strength, like yeah. while you were pregnant and post-pregnancy, yeah. did yeah. you work with a specific strength coach or yeah. is this something, you know, we, we've heard a lot from Gwen Jorgensen following her. Sure. She talks a lot about pelvic floor and I realized yeah. your, your delivery was of more what it was like. Right. Uh, so I did. So Kate Ligler is my cycling coach, but she was also my strength coach for a decade. And she was with me, like she knew when I was a week pregnant. So I was like, oh man, we got to start some stuff now. And so she, before I moved to Ohio, she's, she was out in San Francisco. I think I was pregnant for seven months there. She did a lot of hip activation and pelvic floor exercising and, and so much stuff to keep me um, in shape. Strength is a big pillar, a huge, and I didn't lose that. I've always done strength at least twice a week, heavy weights right now, a lot of squats, a lot of glute, a lot of balance, because it also at my age, it helps prevent injury. Because the last thing we want right now after you bust out a human is to then get injured having a c-section and primarily from nursing you can easily be more prone to stress fractures and so you have to be really really careful of that and a lot of my peers who had babies at this time and i said this at the pro panel in montreblanc because i was sitting next to lizzie blatchford and she also had a c-section and she had a stress fracture after um so you really have to like watch that stuff to be honest, then I moved to Ohio and I did find a strength coach here who's who's lovely, but I, I didn't start working with him till after, right after the, the pregnancy. So I, because I knew I could, I, I knew what to do in those two months that I, I was literally nine, nine months pregnant. Also, I use my own research on Instagram's great. Let me tell you, for finding people who post like Gwen Jorgensen's gal from Recore Fitness, I bought her like little belt situation. I started wearing that. I started doing her pelvic floor exercises and they're very tedious. You're like, these aren't doing anything. Like, what are these doing? I feel like I'm just sitting here bobbing my legs, but they do help. And I, now I try to tell that to people who are like 36 weeks pregnant and they're like, my pelvic floor hurts. I would say it to Hillary Biscay. And she's like, She's like the last person, by the way, that would ever want to do these pelvic floor exercises. So I was like, Hill, you just have to get the Pilates ring and squeeze it while you're like answering 25 emails and talking to 75 people like you have to. So I'm very big on that. But it is a process, but I made myself do it every day. I had the time then. I didn't have Mac. I wasn't training. I was just heavily exercising. So I like made it a focus and it has to be a focus for especially athletes that want to come back after delivery because it does a number on that body, whether it's C-section, whether it's vaginal, it doesn't matter. It's going to affect, once again, everyone's different and you'll always hear that, but it's going to affect you somehow, whether it's lower back, your sacrum, your pelvic floor, there's so many things that way. And if, if you keep everything engaged and strong, you're going to have a better result six weeks after your human is born. So... All right. So let's switch gears a little bit here and yeah. talk about that move that you had. So you moved yeah. from outside of San Francisco, California to yeah. Columbus, Ohio. So yeah. West coast to Midwest. Right. And I'm dying to hear yeah. your take on this. Uh, what yeah. has it been like? Yeah. Tell us about the differences in the triathlon culture there. Yeah. And what are you liking about your new training environment in Ohio? Right. So obviously we love, we love California. We lived there 17 years. We moved out there right after, I think, yeah, I did my first Ironman at 21 and I moved out there right after that first Ironman because that was in Ohio, I remember. My point is I had this whole contingent in San Francisco, Marin, towards the end, but I trained with the Everyman Jack guys, Rich Viola, still good friends, love them, Get love getting to see them at races. 
To be honest, however, is if I was still in California, having this human and being the type of mother I am, like I want to be with my kid. And given Project Mac right now, Mac, there was no way in humanly possible I was going to be training at 5 a.m. What's really funny for me to look back at now actually is I used to have four hours of training done before 9.30 in the morning. Now I'm like basically just starting a session if I'm like, if things are going well at 9.30. So I just wouldn't have been able to do that. And Rich obviously is the CEO of a company. He has to train early, la la la, that's when we'd swim, that's when we'd do our indoor cycling sessions. So I really, and I, I, I like enjoy my mornings with Mac, I call him, and then I put him for a nap, and that's when I like hammer out a main session. And honestly, my training partners now are my friend's kids who are 18, and they're my swim training partners. Haley, you'll attest to this, is that, well, no, because you're much faster, but I'm doing freestyle to their breaststroke. Like, literally, I join their distance IM practice, and I just pray that I can, even with paddles, keep up on their 400 IM intervals. I mean, they are just so good. <laughs> you just tell so, yourself you can yeah. bike and bike and run better than them. That's oh, what I do. You just tell yourself, right? well, I could, if right. we go and get on the bike after yeah. this, I'm pretty sure I could beat you. Right, right. <laughs> anyway. Right. No, it's true. So, so things are different there. I, I train with these kids, and I love it. They're really inspiring and and it's funny though my you know during the um not my main training partners but there's some like 14 year old girls who are are crushing me also in the next lane and I like listen to their chatter in between and I'm like I'm just like granny in the back of the lane this is awesome so that's my training stimulation um my other training stimulation I have a woman cave and that's where I do a lot of my training that's another perk by the way of being out in Ohio you know we spent you know whatever, 17 years and a thousand square feet (laughs) for uh, a pretty penny. And now we live in the Midwest and we have actually, you know, a little home and it has a space for a woman cave with a trainer and a treadmill and everything. And so Zwift, I am, uh, you know, best friends with, and that's my cycling stimulation. And I'll be honest with you. I never, um, (laughs) this is not something I say to brag about is I do 90% of my cycling training indoors. To be honest, I'm afraid to ride outside right now. Terenzo getting hit just crushed, crushed. It's not about me, but it crushed me. I just like, can't believe a lot of my peers, our peers, right. Have been in so many crashes. It's just so dangerous out there. Like I just rely on the race. I'm just use my muscle memory and my 20 years of racing as that's my I mean, yes, I could be more technical. I, I know that even when I rode outside more, but I just don't feel, I feel like more productive and more efficient. And we talked about that balance. I can have so much more balance. Uh, you know, a three hour trainer ride indoor is way more productive for me than going and doing that outside. Everyone's different. But for me, I like get on that bike. I'm just like, go, 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 go. There's no stoplights. There's no riffraff. I'm all about decluttering riffraff right now. I was when I was probably 35, I started the process of decluttering riffraff, but now with Mac, I, everything has to be so calculated and so efficient. And this just works for, for my life right now. But the transformation also that's been good for living in Ohio, of course, we're close to both families. Um, we have our friends, some of them that from when we were growing up, I miss my California contingent. Don't get me wrong. My sister's still there. Some of my bestest friends, but, um, training in this humidity, uh, I raced a half marathon on, on Saturday built into my long run and it was 95. It wasn't that hot out actually at, you know, seven in the morning, it was probably 75 degrees, but it was 95% humidity. And, 
that's the kind of stuff. And I'm not saying that could be great in Kona. It might not make a difference. I think it will help me. It's got to help. Come on, right? You know, in California, it was 50 to 70 degrees, a comfortable 50 to 70 degrees. I was freezing, like, right in the morning going on rides. There was no humidity. humidity. So I feel like that's been a, a benefit for me. Even on my easy runs with the jogger stroller, I am sweating, like, profusely a half a mile in. So I'm going to look at the power of positivity of that one. And it's just the simplicity and ease. I like being back in my Midwest roots, to be really honest. I just, uh, the mentality here is great. And we've, my husband's thriving. And that was an important part of the decision with his work and such. So we still rented because we weren't sure where we were going to settle. We've been here a year now, almost to the date. And we're just kind of riding the waves of it. We we have our house. Actually, our, our owners just came back and said that they would stay a little, they're going to stay where they are a little longer. And we were like, great. So there's no set rush to leave. So that's kind of a good thing. Yeah. So Meredith, you're, you know, you're, career in the sport has been a little unusual in that you raced as an age grouper for nearly a decade before you went pro. And during that time you were doing as many as four Ironman distance races a year. So you were, you know, in it. And then in November, 2009, you made your pro debut debut at Ironman Arizona. So I'm really curious, what made you decide to start racing pro? Well, great question. I just feel that at night, you know, at, I remember it, nine years as age grouper was so much fun and I would do these Ironmans right and then the next day I'd be in my compression tights with my dress on at the desk and it started and I was in my 20s then so I was a lot more vibrant I had a lot more gusto could I do that now PS no no way but I just we my husband and I took a bird's eye view at, at life and we were like can I admit this 60 hour work week and this comfy get a paycheck every two weeks job. Can I, can I do that and make my hobby, my job and my now career, I guess. But, um, it took time. It didn't happen overnight. So I, I, I always have said this is that I, for two years, I was a pro still working at RBC and I started to add, I, I coached, I remember I coached 12 athletes, which was a lot for me. I like watch these coaches who coach a lot more. 12 was a lot. And I also taught spinning or rather cycling uh, class at our cycling, indoor cycling compu trainer. So I had, you know, for those four jobs, right. And, and I'm not saying, Oh, whoa, was me. I had four jobs. That just like, we don't make LeBron James money in our sport. Right. So like me going to get seventh place at Ironman Arizona my first year as a pro, my first pro race was not going to pay my California bills and my, it wasn't even going to touch my rent. It wasn't going to even touch a fourth of my rent for seventh place. And I knew that going into it. So I I waited two years before I admitted the RBC, get a paycheck every two weeks type of job um, until I started trying to accrue some more uh, profitable races and, and try to, yeah, win if you will because I find I'm very open about this in our sport and I can also say it's like unless you podium you're not going to make that much money in Ironman it is so hard even now and I've watched it the past decade dwindle even now as a veteran to get a a sponsorship package like I got my first year as a pro before I did anything is really tricky. I mean, we did write a life of a triathlete business edition. We have not launched it yet because it keeps changing 
and not for the better. <laughs> so um, it's really hard unless you're Daniela or Rennie or Holly, you're not going to make these huge and, and many more. I'm just saying those off the top of my head and they win, They're win they win and they win a, a big chunk of change as world champions and such. It's really hard to just come off the boat <laughs> and make a career out of it. So we had to be very technical and very calculated in how we were going to do that living in California at the time. And so we, we made the jump and, and, and now here we are a decade later with a kid in tow and living in the mid Midwest, which honestly does make the financial uh, blow of triathlon a, a little bit easier, but it was all, it, it was all worth it at that time. And then we had these epic years where um, you know, sponsors did this thing and, and they're stopping it now where they would pay any Ironman race, right? Anywhere you want. You want to go to Muncie, Indiana, or you want to go to, to, uh, France, they're going to pay you the same amount one through five. Even they'd pay you didn't back in the day. It was like one through five. Sweet. Well, now sponsors have all got this like memo that, there's specific races and then they, they need to be championship races. And that's really tough because not all of us can get to champion. Not all of the triathletes can get to Ironman Carnes in Australia and Ironman Brazil and Ironman Texas, whatever it is, wherever you live, because that's where sponsors are going to pay you now. So can you live off the winnings of just uh, from Ironman? That's hard. No, I don't think you can. You needed your podium incentives. You needed to make, if you won an Ironman back in the day and you got money from all your, all 10 sponsors say you had, that could be a $40,000 day. Now, if you, I, I remember, I think Ironman Mont Blanc, I think for the win was 12, which was pretty good, but some of them are only full Ironmans, five grand for the win. And if you're not getting bonuses for your sponsors, that's really hard. That's a lot of work. For five grand, right? So we've learned a lot on that, and 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 this this year was less about that. But I did try to pick races that I do with my sponsors being in a contract have top three um, for the most. But a lot of them for for upcoming years are getting rid of that and only paying for championship races. So that's a real interesting thing in the Ironman world right now. Wow, can you? I mean, do you have any ideas for what athletes can do besides? Besides, you know, moving and having yeah. a more cost-effective life, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. are there are there any other things that we could be doing to, like, you yeah. know, to be more attractive to our sponsors? Like, how do we change that tide? Right. So, I, what I've learned is sponsors are busy. Like, how many of us? It's funny. I really relish in the sponsor. I, I'm very fortunate to have had a lot of the same sponsors I've had for years. But, um, like, getting a response from sponsors in general, they're busy. It's hard. Like, and and if you get a response back from them and they feel the same way away about some pros that just don't respond. I'm not personally like that. I respond like I'm anal about that. I, okay. They, they reached out, they need this. All right. We got to do it because you've got to treat it like a business. It is. You got to treat it like a job. It is. And so I've always said, how can you go out of, you have to sometimes go out of the triathlon bubble, right? There's, 20 bike bike companies, right? And they only have a very small budget to give X amount of triathletes, or maybe they choose just to give it to one really good athlete. You don't know, but their budgets are being cut to go be spent on someone else. I'll be honest, Saucony cut me. I was with them for a decade. They said they're getting out of triathlon. When I was, it, it did happen to be right before I was pregnant. That doesn't matter. It didn't have anything to do with me being pregnant. They just a decade with them. Like even when I was an age grouper, I was like, they were a huge 
chunk of change, a salary. Uh, I think if I won an Ironman, it was like eight grand just for that, maybe five for second, third, 3000 for third, something like that. It was a huge cut in, in my, my pay. And they just were, were getting out of triathlon. They're, they're moving ships. It wasn't profitable for them. And I know they do, they still, uh, they should, uh, I know they sponsor a couple athletes still right now, but I think that is like going away and that's really sad. And it's happening to no, no, Saucony is a company, by the way, that is also in running. So they have that. Are we going to lose wetsuit sponsorships? Probably not, because there's always going to be wetsuits in, you know, triathlon. But the running shoe component, I'm just using that as an example, is very tough. Like you have Hoka, you have On Running, but they only have these small little budgets. You can't give them to hundreds of triathletes. So we're all squirrels trying to get a nut. I still am a squirrel trying to get a nut without being annoying because you don't want to like beg. And so I've always said, you just have to show in your results. Like, all right, you got to start winning races, Meredith, because <laughs> like, that's what's, and you got to start, you got to keep trying to win races at 40 years old. So that like, I remember I did have one sponsor who I since kept, but they thought because I was 40 and having a kid that I was retiring. And I was like, raised my hand. Um, just FYI, no, I'm not. I hope to have the best four to five years. I Yes, am I at the pointy end of my career? Yeah, by the way, look at Crowey. He's 46. He just crushed another race this past weekend. I mean, he, it is in us to look at Dee Dee, by the way. Sorry, I'm so I think she's 47. She's still doing just fine for that for that age in our sport. So I just turned 40. I, I know I'm at the pointy end, but these old legs still have like several years left of racing. And I have these mama horns hormones in me. So like that could help. Right. So it's just having, it's really trying not to look through a dirty lens, um, in terms of sponsorships and in terms of like, am I too old? And, and now that I have a kid to be able to do this, the answer to both those is no, the power of positivity. We, you know, get to do this and I want to keep doing it for as long as these legs say. So I just need the sponsors, which I'm very grateful they have to like have come along with me on this journey. And I'm very grateful for that, but I've also been doing it for so long. I feel if I was just coming on the platform as a first year pro, I would be like, looking back on what I know now, no way would I quit that job at RBC anytime soon because the sponsorships aren't there to even get, even if you forget salaries, those aren't there much at all. Even getting bonus incentives or podium incentives are dwindling unless you go win Kona or go win worlds or go win the, all the big, big championship races around the world. So that's where it's really dicey. And, and Haley, to answer your question, like, what can we do? Like, what can we do? I am still like navigating that, like what, what, how we have this amazing, amazing, what you guys have created is this amazing platform and like to get the world out. You're the one getting us out to the public and to the Ironman world. And we just need to like keep on that. And maybe down the road, I'll be sitting eating bonbons when I'm 50 and it'll be back up to like, look, it's never going to be LeBron James money, but could we have a little bit more funding in the Ironman world? Yes. Speaking of Ironman, by the way, and I, I'm very grateful for what they can give, but even now going into races, they don't have as much, their budget's cut too, because they don't have as much to give us to go to races as they did in 2009 when I first went pro. I think my appearance fee is honestly still the same, so or less, right? And hotel rooms you used to get, and 
car rental, let's say, and uh, a stipend and uh, all that, that has dwindled significantly. Now you kind of have to do, which, which I, I want to work for that. I want to do the pro panel and anything else they need me to do. But now it's, it is hard for people to do that if they're getting like, you know, $200 or whatever it is. I'm just throwing that out there to do 50 things and risk being tired for the race that you're trying to win. Even just what Ironman gives you, that's the, the real challenge there. And, and that's where you have to make a decision. Yeah. Well, and the question along those lines probably becomes too, you know, like looking at a company like Ironman who yeah. have cut back or kept the yeah. same things like their incentives and appearance fees and things like that for pros. And, you know, you want to say the budget's cut, but we're seeing yeah. a lot of things happen yeah. with Ironman where they're growing, right? They're right, buying right. Rev, Rev3 right. races just recently. They bought Quasi right. Williamsburg and Maine. They have the money right. to be expanding. It's somewhere. It's just they're right. not seeing the value. So I think that is kind of like the unanswered question. But right. during your career, you also have raced many challenge and Rev3 mm-hmm. races when they were present mm-hmm. in the U.S. Was that part of your reason to race such a diverse platform? And then... Just kind of what did you, what do you think about the recent acquisitions with, with Ironman? Right. Well, oddly, on a side note, I am racing (laughs) Challenge Daytona and Challenge Wanaka this year, which are next year for Wanaka. But I like race. I loved racing Rev3 too. Rev3 Quasi, Rev3 Portland. I loved racing a different dynamic because I thought at that time, and by the way, like Challenge Challenge Roth, and that's up there with like the a huge race. I always thought Rev Three and Challenge were going to be competitors of Ironman. That they 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 are slash were. They're just not at that level. And Ironman has been given a lot of investors to have. They they have a lot of money. They make two hundred fifty million or whatever it is just off of clothes and, and retail. That's impressive. What I have realized and Aaron and I always say is, and I would say it if Andrew Messick was on the call, he knows they, Ironman is going to make money with or without us pros, right? Because they have all these people who want to do Ironman sells out in two minutes. A lot of them do Arizona. I remember it, it sells out in two minutes online or people fly there and volunteer so they can stand in a two hour line the next day. It's an amazing thing. I like, I honestly salute it. It's just, unless these other people like challenge or rev or, or whatnot. And I know uh, Ironman just, you know, acquired those rev races because Rev probably realized, and I love Charlie, they're like, gosh, I can just make more money and not have to deal with all this organization. They're like, I'm just going to take the acquisition and, and go. Because Ironman has it dialed. I mean, they they put on so many races per week outside of even 70.3 and Ironman. I mean, the Iron Kids, the the, the marathons now. I mean, it, it is a moneymaker. And they can sell out with or without us. And so that. I really want to dive into later. I'm still thinking on that is one thing about our sport is we are the only professional sport and this makes it really unique and authentic that we are the only professional sport that has professional athletes on the same course as age groupers, right? That should be celebrated, right? That should be honestly celebrated. And that's why that's my kind of 
prayers to Andrew is like, I, I need him to see value in, in that too, that some people do choose races based on where the pros are going to be. You know, as you know, we live in Ohio, Ohio 70.3 was 20 minutes from where I live and it wasn't a pro race and, and it sold out. There were 3000 people racing that bad boy, but I was thinking how nice it would be to have had a pro field there, right? Every race I feel should have a pro field. They just decided that they didn't, they kind of knew they didn't need a pro field to still profit. And that's the dicey stuff right there. And that's what needs to be really dissected. And, and maybe when I am done racing and have more bandwidth, I can really get in there. I'd love to be on the board of Ironman to discuss that, knowing what I know now and, and seeing what I see out there. And so it's not dead. That's the thing. It's not dead. It just hasn't been. And I always say this, you know, just talking about the triathlon union we tried and the triathlon this and, and yada, yada, PTA, yada, yada. It's just Ironman takes so much of your time and no one can make the time to work on it. And Ironman's so busy. Professional triathletes are so busy. People in general, sponsors are so, so busy. No one has the time to execute it. And so that's what I need to figure out. That's what I want to personally figure out is how we can all make the time and for the betterment of Ironman, yes, but also for future pros in the sport. And it's it's like, you know, colleges now, right? They do scholarships for triathletes. Awesome. Wish that would have been there back in the day. That's so awesome. What And, and I say that in one breath. The next breath is like, what if those people want to be professional and then they graduate college and they really – can't make a living. So that's right there. That needs to be addressed. And so I would love to address that, you know, later on. Meredith, what about the Ironman live Facebook video, Ironman Now? I don't know yeah. if you were able to look at some of the coverage from Montremblant, but I know that, you know, when you tune in sometimes, you can see that there are more than 3,000 people watching. And right. Do you think, I mean, that seems like a step in the right direction. Have you, yes. did you hear any feedback on that yeah. after Tremblant? I did. Honestly, my mom, who's not like, she does a lot better when she's in front of the computer. So like Ironman now praise because she's like kind of not allowed to be at races because she gets anxious. So the, the fact that she was like front and center, like watching and had the cameraman. Now I, I know that they're just trying to do like, I know they, I think I heard they only did the top three. They could have gone further back. I know it's hard. Hey, we'll take what we can get, right? But the, the point is that that was a huge deal, and it was really good. It got great feedback. Same for Wisconsin recently. I think that is a huge step in the right direction. And, and when we talked about what needs to be done, that needs to be done. And then we need to eventually segue that to ESPN. The fact that I'm seeing darts on ESPN is scary to me. I just like darts, not knocking it. Think it's awesome. But can't we do an Ironman? The reason we don't is because it takes nine hours, right? Or 10 or 11, whatever it is. It takes a long time, but there's a way that we got to make that happen. And so Ironman the, now the Tour de France starting. takes a long time too, right? True. Tour de France True. is like totally. all day for three weeks. So I mean, totally. there has to be a way totally. that we can do it, right? There has to be a way. And it's funny, the average you know, in, I mean, triathlon, I've always said this, I say it in my book, it's a, it's a rich sport, right? It has a lot of people spending, you know, like, just look in the bike, like the bike transition alone, like how many millions of dollars of equipment do you have there? Like, so people spend money on this sport. It's a, what, what is it up to now? $900 to enter an Ironman, I think. So why can't we find the right people to 
kind of be the platform to help get us a, a showcase us lot like on an ESPN or on a um, TV or whatever it is. I, I, I'm just saying ESPN because it's on in my house every day because my husband's in like seven fantasy football teams. I'm just saying that like I, at least Facebook now or rather Iron Man now is is getting us like on socially somehow. But I want to get it to where not just people who know that it's on Iron Man now <laughs> will will see about our sport. Like everyone here is like what you know when I used to work at RBC like people when I told you I'd be sitting like you know at and my desk with my compression socks on and I'd go in the lunchroom to make a coffee and they they'd be like oh man I heard you had some kind of race this weekend oh yeah how'd it go yeah oh what does that entail like you know five mile run and like a 10 mile bike and you know like people don't know and if they understood when you tell them you guys know when you tell them what an Ironman is they're like whoa like you run a whole marathon after you do that's all that swimming and all that biking you're like yeah and people would find interest just like they do in Kona when that airs like one time a year they're like that was pretty rad even the non-triathlon people that never have swam bike or ran in their life they see it and they're like oh that's really interesting so we got to figure out the sweet spot there Meredith let's talk about Kona a little bit so in 2013 you were seventh and Since then, Kona has been a bit of a nemesis for you. Yeah. What is it about the big island that keeps you coming back? And have you made specific changes going into this year based on your experiences in the past? Yep. Yeah, Kona, what are you talking about, Alyssa? Yes, it is. It I, it chews me up and spits me out every year. Even when I was seventh, seventh, that was, I don't believe in luck. I think we create our own luck minus outside of mechanicals and stuff. That was lucky. I got caught by Caitlin Snow in the like 10 yards or 20 yards from the finish line for sixth. And I honestly was just like, I was, I was in a coffin, like, and I'm always in a coffin in Kona and my number one goal for the 40th year and the 40th, 40th year of me, but also the 40th year of Kona is to just like finish that race. Like I started is so much has happened over the years of Kona and I I could just write a Kona edition book. Let me tell you, um, just getting, having mercury poisoning and the salt water and how it affects me. And then not being able to finish or getting in a crash one year. It's funny. I, I know I crashed that one year and that's one of my, you know, I wish I could say I've done 66 Ironmans, but I've, I've DNF'd four and, um, one was a crash in Kona. One I passed out. I've walked several times. I've walked that, that queen K so many times. And then four weeks later, five weeks later, we've won Arizona. So see something Kona, whatever, Madame Pele, whatever. She hates me. She hates me. She does not like me. She doesn't like me. And so I need to be, I need to like get in with her. So what is, what is interesting is two years ago when I got off the bike with like, I remember I got off with Bella and we were in like third place. We were in a pack, all of us in third, fourth, fifth, but all together. I was like, this is it. I was all mentally with it. I was like, I am with it. I have finally, because I started working a couple years ago with Daryl Griffiths from Shots Nutrition. And I like, I was with it nutritionally. I was like mentally aware. Usually I'm just like, eh, you can't even tell like I'm living. And when I start that run and I was like, this is it. And then I started running and you, you guys might remember, I just dealt with this high hamstring injury for so long and I had gotten PRP and I had done everything 
and everything imaginable to this hamstring. And it just reared its ugly head. And I, I pretty much walked that marathon. I finished what I started, but I walked and it was such a buzzkill because I was so ready to do, when I say I'm ready, it's not, I'm not, I have no intention of winning Kona. I, I like, I'm not trying to devalue myself, but like, cause I've never done well there. I even finishing in the top 10 would be a magical day for me. I just want to feel like I'm racing and not feel like I can, I'm unfunctional. So two years ago, and I remember with the hamstring, I remember I, was in so much pain. And I was like, why, what would be the smart thing to do? Stop. But I can walk, I can walk. And then I remember once again, five weeks later, we won Ironman Arizona, but I was still hurting in my hamstring. That race cured me. I know that's so weird. But in any event, I fixed, I remember I got home from Kona and I fixed my bike position and I, I started doing muscle activation technique because that's the one thing I hadn't done. And that seemed to really help. So now I'm going into Kona this year, my hamstrings are good. I still have that nutrition, hopefully dialed the same way as I did two years ago. And I just like, come on guys, 40 years, I've been training in humidity. Let's, let's like, let's give me a little bit of a hall pass. Let me try to do it. And it's, it's scary. You're like, is that Island going to eat me up again? It's a very, um, very vulnerable about it. It's a very raw thing out there. It's a huge platform of it's, it's, you know, you don't want to use the word embarrassing, but like, how can you feel so great in one race and then get into a race like that? And it just chews on you and it just pulls at your heartstring. And so I always say this sport is such a beautiful and perplexing type of pain, but also this most enriching and rewarding type of pleasure. And so that's what keeps me coming back. And it's the same thing that keeps me coming back as the athlete for 35 years, basically, is is the hard work, the love, the dedication, the passion. Because once that goes away, there's really no, there's nothing that makes it meaningful and we have to craft we have to really craft meaning and in, into what we're doing and that's what I'm thinking about out there so that's what to, a long-winded answer to answer you Alyssa is um that's what keeps me bringing back because it, it does make me thrive and could I take the easy way out I want to announce this is what what's the smarter decision probably going to race Ironman Louisville to be honest you know so much goes into so much by finances go into going to Kona. And honestly, unless you get top 10, you make zero dollars, zero. I am fortunate to help, still have a sponsor that, and, and that's one of the reasons I'm going that, that pays me a fee for qualifying. And that's a big deal. I don't think if I haven't been with them for a while, I don't think I would have that luxury. So I'm really um, grateful for that. But unless you like, could you go around and just do a bunch of races and not care about Kona? And I've tried everything with Kona, not caring, caring, going out a month early, going out three days prior, training in humidity, not, um, sauna training, just going with the flow. Like I've tried every way I've still stunk. Okay. So now I just like it, that, that's what keeps bringing me back. Cause I can't crack it and I might not crack it this year. And you just can't let that failure get to your heart. And I failed. I failed royally. And I think the biggest thing is not being afraid to fail this year. 
Well, Meredith, I'm happy you're going. And as someone who's kind of on the other side of that, I think it's a smart decision. I do think it's a good decision. And I do want to hear more about this racing your way to healing yourself and doing more races. Maybe you'll talk to me, tell yeah. me about that offline. But yeah. anyway, yeah. to wrap up our conversation here, we do want to let everyone know that you are the opening keynote speaker for the Outspoken Women in Triathlon Summit coming up this uh, November 30th through December 2nd in Tempe, Arizona. So why are you excited about the Outspoken Women's Summit? And for anyone on the fence about attending, what would you tell them? Sure. I am pumped to be at this amazing Outspoken Summit because it just gives, you know, a platform for women to shine. Okay. That's, and listen, we need that right now in this world. We need it in this in our sport, we need it. And so anyone who is on the fence should really recognize that and also recognize the privilege it is that we get this amazing platform to share our ideas, to brainstorm. We could honestly, what we just talked about a little bit ago, have a little session to brainstorm how we can showcase Ironman going forward not just on like social media, Twitter, if we're lucky, right? So it's all those things that we're going to have um, like-minded individuals together. We're going to have great speakers. Stacey Sims going to be there. Rachel Joyce. I could keep going. Um, it's just going to give us this opportunity to shine together. And that's a big deal. You don't have many opportunities to get to do that. And so it's worth the investment to come and to express your opinions. What I love about this summit is, is you're not going to just give an idea and it's just going to be like brushed off the shoulder. It's going to be you know, analyzed and talked about, and it's going to be kind of showcased and we can really, um, maximize everyone's ideas in order to help Ironman, help our sport, help women in our sport, namely thrive. And that's the whole, that's the whole point of, of the summit. And I think it's going to be one of many summits to come, um, in the future. Well, Meredith, thank you so much for your time. All the best as you continue training for the big Island and with project Mac going thank well, <laughs> hopefully for you as well here. Uh, we look forward to seeing you out on the race course. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Well, Haley, it's not to say I want Meredith to retire anytime soon, but I do have to say that hearing her voice and the things she had to say, I will be super happy when she is has a little bit more time on her plate to be advocating for the pros in the sport because I do think that pros matter and she really believes that and will be a great advocate for us in the coming years. Yes, and I'm excited to watch Meredith race in Kona in a couple weeks here. And if anyone is interested in getting their Kona fix or starting to get their Kona fix, you can always check out Torsten Rad, our friend. He has his Kona 2018 rating report available. I think it's available for pre-order right now. And that is at tryrating.com. You can get it for free, make a small donation to Torsten just to let him know that you appreciate his work and you can read everything you want to know about everyone in the pro field. And he'll probably help you make your picks a little bit better. And then also, if you would like to hear more from Meredith, um, you can join us at the Outspoken Women in Triathlon Summit this November 30th through December 2nd in Tempe, Arizona. And more information on that is at outspokensummit.com. And please follow us on all the social media and subscribe to the podcast on your app. Also leave us a review. If you can let our sponsors know you are listening and care as you heard today, it is very important that you do so. And we thank you so much for doing that. And Haley, 
have fun training this week. Good luck in Augusta. And I really look forward to talking to you next week. Bye, Alyssa. This is a special song. It's me and my friend's song that we made ourselves. This song is called Here I Am. Get ready for the chorus. I am here now you cannot take me. I will stand up this whole entire time. I am strong now you cannot beat me. I will stand up because I am here. The Iron Woman Podcast is a live feisty media production. Our hosts are Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chara, and our awesome editors, Aaron Hamilton. Thanks again to our sponsors, Crave Jerky, FTC Nutrition, Rudy Project, and Smash Fest Queen. Queen!